following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, I have, I want to start this morning with a confession. Um, You might think that, you know, our family is perfect. Well, we're not. And I confess that at times we've had some interesting and heated discussions with our kids about boundaries, about rules, about what to do and what not to do and what they could and couldn't do. And, and to be honest, some of those conversations didn't go very well at all. And maybe you can relate to that. Um, there were things that were said and ways that things were said that weren't very good at all. And there were times when things got so bad that we would kind of say to them, okay, well, can we have a do-over? Can we try doing that again? Can we try and have that conversation again? Let's come at it a different way. Let's try and understand each other better. And often it, it was a much better conversation. And so this morning, as I was thinking about this passage, it feels a little bit like the apostles get a do-over. You know, I'm re- I was reading this and I'm going, man, it just sounds just like the last passage I preached on. You know, the, the apostles, uh, well, Peter and John in that passage are dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. They're told not to preach in the name of Jesus. They, they, you know, they, they, they get up and Peter defends himself and, and says, no, we've got to preach Jesus. It was like deja vu all over again and again and again. And I'm going, what am I going to say this morning? And then it kind of struck me. It's like they get a chance to have another crack at this. They kind of go, okay, well, let's, let's kind of learn from our mistakes. Let's learn from what we did wrong the last time. You know, it was really bad. We, you know, we got dragged into jail and it was, you know, upset all these people. And we, everyone was kind of losing the plot. Let's, let's do that over and let's try and have a better conversation. And so I was thinking about what did they do differently this time around? The answer, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like they do exactly the same thing. And I love that about this passage. And I love that about the disciples. And, I, and that encourages and challenges us this morning. Because we see in our passage this morning these two currents that flow through this passage. One is the apostles' uncompromising commitment to Jesus and the mission. Uncompromising. We're going to look at three different ways that they were uncompromising. They were uncompromising in their holiness, in their message, and in their passion. And then this other current flowing through this passage is God's uncompromising commitment to them and to advancing his mission and the gospel through them. And those are the two streams that keep this church moving forward in an unstoppable way. If you're joining us this morning online or you're visiting here, we're kind of midway through towards the tail end now of our series in the book of Acts, where we've been considering how God, through his Holy Spirit, is keeping the mission of Jesus alive through these broken um, human beings who are facing internal and external opposition and, and sees this gospel that began in Jerusalem going to the ends of the earth. And so we've been looking at the first eight chapters of, of the book of Acts and we've been encouraged to see and maybe learn and discern what God might be saying to us in our day as to how we can stand firm in God's purposes and advance his gospel kingdom mission in our day, in our context. So let me pray and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for the hope and the encouragement that we have that your church will go on. 
like Jesus promised, that he would build his church. And Lord, as we study the book of Acts and we see the early church, Lord, we see that in the midst of all kinds of challenges and difficulties and hostility, that your kingdom advances and the gospel goes out. And Lord, I pray that as we come around your word this morning, you will encourage us, challenge us, stir us, convict us, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying and hearts that are willing and yielded to obey and surrender to your will. Help me, Lord, to communicate your word faithfully and help us all to receive all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the three uncompromising convictions. So my message this morning is entitled that, uncompromising. Firstly, in their holiness, in their holiness. And we looked last week, they've just had this scenario where two people who are part of this church, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead right there in the middle of the church service. Kind of awkward thing to happen at church, you know. And yet, we see that these disciples continue to maintain the highest standards of godliness and integrity and holiness, even in the face of people being freaked out. Notice verse 13, it says that no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Verse 11 tells us that great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. Now, for me as a pastor, I'm thinking in, in that kind of context where there are people in your community that don't want to come to church, you want to try and make it a little bit easier. You want to kind of, the temptation is to say, you know what, you know, some, you know, some people are really fanatical. You know, they get all excited about Jesus. They get a bit worked up. And, you know, yeah, they talk about sexual purity and not gossiping and having to tell the truth and, you know, not pursuing material. Yeah, but that, that's all the really serious fanatic Christians. You know, like the rest of us, we're kind of normal, ordinary Christians. The temptation is to want to lower the bar of holiness, because we want people to want to come to know Jesus. We, we, we have a good intention. We want them to come to church. We want them to come and not feel judged and condemned and not feel like they're not measuring up. And we want to focus on grace and we want to say, hey, hey, it's okay. Let's just not get too carried away. But that's not what we see the disciples doing. What we see them doing is saying, no, we're, we're going to be uncompromising in our standards of integrity, righteousness, godliness, and holiness. And we're going to trust God and his power to actually bring people to faith. And that's what we see happening. Verse 14, nevertheless, in spite of people being terrified to come to church, imagine, imagine that, people being terrified to come to church. They, they, don't, they don't want to hang around Christian people because, you know, it, it, they're weird. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You see, even that holiness will not stop God bringing people to faith. And sometimes we can think that because we elevate the standard so much. You know, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not just grace. Yes, grace is what brings you into the kingdom. But there is a life of obedience that Christ calls us to. And we need to take that seriously. And even that will not keep people from coming into the kingdom of God. You know, one of the most confusing things in our culture is celebrity Christians. Because they get up at award ceremonies like the Oscars and the Grammys and say, you know, I want to just give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm born again. And they make all these statements. And then the next week in the media, they're doing things. You think, oh my goodness, that should not be associated with Christianity. And people are going, well, what kind of Christians are they? Are they really Christians? And let's not just bl blame celebrities. Even within the church, we would know that there's been so much compromise and sin, you know, with, with uh, abuse and, all, and 
financial mismanagement and all kinds of things that are leveled at the church where our culture says, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're not even living up to the life of Jesus that you profess. So we see here that these early Christians were uncompromising in their commitment to Jesus, in their obedience, in their holiness, in their integrity, in their godliness. And I want to challenge us, church, in your life personally, as wonderful as it is that God, by his grace, has rescued you from darkness and brought you into the kingdom of life, I want to ask you, are you living in obedience to Christ? You know, we've talked so many times in, about John 15 and the, the, the beautiful picture that Jesus communicates thereof as we abide in him. And if we love him, we will obey him. Love and obedience are so tightly connected in John 15. In your own personal life, in your own integrity, in your work, in your family, in your language, in your behavior, in your thinking, in what you watch, in, your, in, in every area of your life, are you committed uncompromisingly to the holiness of Jesus, to being like Jesus, to reflecting Jesus in the world? So that people will say, you make me feel uncomfortable because it feels like Jesus is here, not in a judgmental, condemning way, but in a way that they can see that you are different. Or are they the kind of people in your work or in your school that when they find out you're a Christian, Christian, they go, oh, I would have never guessed that. I would have never thought you were a Christian. Why is that? See, we need holiness and power. That's what this early church had. They were committed to a high standard of holiness and they relied on the power of God to bring people to faith. Ajit Fernando, who we've been quoting quite a lot from his commentary, he says this, a church that is pure but is powerless is an unattractive church. By contrast, a church that emphasizes the power of God but has no corresponding holiness reaps a scandalous dishonor to Christ. That's profound. And so we see the disciples stream, they're uncompromising in their holiness, and we see God validating that, honoring that by doing signs and wonders and miracles among them and bringing people to faith by his the second area we see that the, the, the apostles were uncompromising in their message. In their message. I mean, the last time around, they were dragged in, Peter and John. They were forbidden to teach in the name of Jesus, you know, and, and to do all this stuff. But we see here that the gospel continues to grow. People are added into the kingdom. And verse 17 tells us that the religious leaders were uncomfortable about what's going on. There's, there's just all these people coming to faith. People are bringing people and lining them on the streets. It was creating mess and chaos in their community. Luke also tells us that they were jealous about what was happening. Their, their power, their authority, their respect, their credibility in the community was probably being undermined because now it was all about these apostles of Jesus. And for them, it would have kind of been like a deja vu experience as well, going, man, we had these same problems with this Jesus guy. Now all his followers are doing the same thing. We're having to deal with the same issues, the same problem, and the same threat of Rome coming and taking away our authority and our power because there's just chaos in our streets. And so they arrest them, and this time it's all of the apostles. They throw them in jail, and we see again God intervenes. 
by sending an angel to rescue them. And notice what the angel says, verse 20, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Or in other uh, translations, it says the full message or all of the things that are encapsulated in the gospel. Don't leave anything out. Don't compromise the message. And verse 21, straight away, the next day, they're there. At daybreak, they enter the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. There are several references to their teaching. Verse 21, they teach the people. Verse 25, again, um, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Verse 27, they were brought before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They, they, they were uncompromising in the message, even though they knew it was going to be unpopular. Even though they knew they were going against the religious leader's instructions about not preaching in the name of Jesus. They remained committed to the message. And as we see, Peter, verse 29, it's the same message. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. There it is, the resurrection of Jesus. We've seen that every time Peter opens his mouth to preach. He's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the bit. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. You'd think that this time with the do-over, Peter might kind of go, you know, I need to soften it a little bit. I need to kind of ease back on the intensity a bit. I need to kind of, you know, not, not talk about the killing part. We'll talk about the resurrection part. But I'm not going to kind of mention, you know, you're responsible. You killed the author of life. But it's the same message. You killed by hanging him on the cross. But God has raised him. God has exalted him now to his own right hand. That's a massive statement Peter's making there about the authority and the deity of Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of God as prince and savior. That he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive forgive their sins we are witnesses of these things and so is the holy spirit that's why all these miracles and signs and wonders are happening because the holy spirit is confirming the truth of what we're declaring to you there's no pulling back peter says look like he says in chapter four salvation is found in no other name but the name of jesus so how can we stop preaching in the name of jesus because there is no other name that can save no compromise. See, even in our culture today, there's so much pressure, even within some sections of the church, to dial down all of that Jesus is the only way stuff. To kind of say, you know what? Jesus, yes, his, his death and his resurrection accomplished salvation for all of us. But, you know, if, if you believe sincerely and genuinely in any, other, in any other God, you can still be saved through Jesus, even though you've never heard about the name of Jesus. Or they'll say, you know what, God loves everyone and eventually God's love will triumph over his justice and he'll just save everyone even after they're dead in their sin. Because God's all powerful, he can do that. And they want to soften that. They want to kind of make the gospel more attractive, more relevant, more appealing so that more people will become Christians. But my question is, what kind of Christians will they be? When Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. You know, I, I wish I could say, yeah, we'll all be saved in the end. I wish I could tell you that, yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe, what God you believe in, as long as you're genuine and sincere, that all, all religions lead to heaven. I wish I could tell you that because that would be a lovely message to hear. 
But that's not what I think the Bible is teaching. And so if you're watching or if you're here and you've, you've believed that, that you know all roads lead to Rome and all religions lead to God, I want to tell you, no. It, salvation is found in no other name, in no other person but Jesus And he's the only way that you can be saved. He's the only one that can give you repentance and forgiveness. It is his death on the cross that paid the penalty and the price that you and I deserve for our sin. The wrath and the judgment of God, separation from him him in hell forever. We deserve all of that. And Jesus' death, his perfect life and his sacrificial death, his resurrection and his ascension, as Peter talks about here, to the right hand of God, All of that is the only thing that can save you and can save me. They were uncompromising in their message. They they certainly, again, like the last time around, even though they could have been defensive because they were dragged in front of the religious rulers and elite and said, didn't we already have this conversation with you? Didn't we tell you not to do this? They could have easily... Being take, taken down the road of being defensive, trying to explain their actions, justify their actions, rationalize their actions. But no, Peter, as always, goes on the offensive. and says, hey, here's another opportunity for me to tell you about Jesus, that he's risen from the dead and salvation is found in him and him alone. And I want to challenge us, church. In our day, we, we have the same pressure to, to dial down the demands of the gospel to find a path that's acceptable for everyone, to be inclusive, to not be arrogant, to claim that Jesus is the only way. And for sure, it will be a much more popular gospel, a much more winsome gospel. But it's not the gospel that the Bible articulates. And I want to challenge you and encourage you in the midst of hostility and rejection and opposition and people going, you guys are arrogant to remain uncompromising in love because it is the truth, because no one else can save people. Only Jesus can. So as as you can imagine, and as we should expect, this message didn't go down very well. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, these religious leaders, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Be prepared, Christian. This day is not far from us. When they heard this, they were furious. Even in our culture today, there's so much fury and rage directed at Christians because of our claims, because of our call to holiness, because of our claim that Jesus is the only way. It won't be long before that turns into, you know what, I think our world will be better off with less Christians in it. They were furious. This time, God in his grace intervenes by working through Gamaliel's advice. You know, we've seen God do miraculous things when, when the people were committed to holiness. We've seen God supernaturally rescue them through an angel when, when the message of the gospel was undermined and recommissioning them and saying, hey, go and keep preaching the full gospel. Don't stop preaching the full gospel. Preach it. And they're out there doing it. This time, God's ways are a lot more hidden. And let me say this. We would love the angelic visitations in prison. We, we love that. And what's not to love about it? That's pretty cool. That's a great story. And we see God doing that kind of stuff in Acts. But I want to also say to you, God doesn't always work in such dramatic and spectacular ways. Sometimes God's ways are really hidden. And it's through the words of another human being that you wouldn't think were really miraculous 
or supernatural, and yet God's at work through Gamaliel to preserve his church. Because without Gamaliel's advice, potentially all of these apostles would have been killed. And yet God, in a very ordinary way, was able to preserve his church and keep the gospel moving forward. Incredible. Incredible. I want to encourage you to to not miss God working in and through you just because it's not an angel turning up to rescue you from jail. And even in, in the book of Acts, we see that God doesn't always intervene in supernatural ways to rescue. Even in this passage, the disciples are flogged. They receive 39 lashes, which was brutal. And next week, we'll look at the young man, Stephen, who was martyred at a very, very young age. And Acts, Acts chapter 12, verse 2, recounts the death of James, one of the key people in the early church, at the hands of Herod. God doesn't always rescue. And in chapter 12, interestingly, it's the same chapter where God rescues Peter from jail again. And yet James is killed. But God is at work in all of those things to fulfill his plan and purpose. And so Gamaliel says, hey, you know, guys, you know, remember this, these other dudes and their followers, they, they started off so well and then nothing happens. Let's just wait and see. Now, scholars are divided as to whether this is good advice or not, because you can probably see straight away the danger of thinking this way. You know, if it, if it succeeds, then clearly it's of God. And if it doesn't, when, then it's not. Well, there's a lot of things in our world that succeed that are not godly. If you read the recent uh, statistics from the Bureau of Statistics, atheism is on the rise. That doesn't mean God's in it. Or Islam or other religions in the world might be on the rise. It doesn't mean God's in it. And then there's been plenty of times where missionaries have gone in year after year after year into communities and seen no growth at all. It doesn't mean God's not at work there. So we need to be careful. And that's why scholars are kind of, kind of divided as whether they think Gamaliel was doing the a good thing or a bad thing. Either way, God uses that advice to preserve his people. And they say, yeah, okay, that's, that's a good idea. Let's just wait and see. We're not going to kill them right now. Let's just beat them up, rough them up, and you know, let, let them go. Just tell them not to preach again in the name of Jesus. The last thing they were uncompromising is their passion. Their passion to get on with the mission. And we've seen that time and time again in in the face of opposition, in the face of challenge, in the face of internal division, in the face of all kinds of challenges, they remain uncompromisingly committed to the cause. They were passionate. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The way the Greek works is they were counted, they counted the dishonor of, sorry, they counted it an honor to be dishonored for the name of Jesus, to be beaten up. And again, notice that Luke says disgrace for the name. It doesn't say Jesus because that was what the Sanhedrin had said. Don't preach anymore in the name. And yet they suffered disgrace for that name by taking a beating. And then verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. Whether it was in a large gathering in the temple courts where they were preaching to hundreds or thousands or however many people were there, or whether it was in homes to homes, talking with one family or one individual or a smaller group of people or at Connect Group or wherever it is, they never stopped. Morning, noon, night, they were just living for Jesus, 
passionately committed to advancing the kingdom, the gospel, telling anyone who will listen. What a challenge. What a challenge. What an encouragement to us. And I want to leave you with that as you just sit with the truth of this. We're not perfect people. We might not see ourselves as being bold and courageous like the apostles, but remember we've talked that often it was the Spirit's feeling that gave them that boldness and courage. And we, like them, we face many pressures in our day, in our culture, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we are. We can't even talk about the things of faith the way our rules and laws work. And from the whole Israel Falau thing and so many other public cases we've, we've seen in our media, you could lose your job. You could lose your livelihood. There's a lot more at stake now to come out and stay true to your convictions. But I trust that you're encouraged this morning that God's going to be there. God's at work, whether it's in a supernatural rescue or through his divine intervention in a very hidden way. You may still get flogged. but will you remain uncompromisingly committed to the mission of Jesus to take every opportunity, morning, noon, or night, whether it's in a large gathering, whether it's one-on-one, over a lunch with a work colleague, you know, whether it's a different scenario, to just tell them, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only one that can save you. He saved me and changed my life, and he can save and change yours. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is by grace that we even can repent and are forgiven. We thank you for your grace that sustains and empowers us every day. By your Holy Spirit, we can be bold witnesses for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we go into our hostile world, our hostile enemy territory, as it were. Father, we may not risk getting beaten or flogged in our culture, but Lord, there are risks for us. And that might be a loss of reputation, a loss of relationship, perhaps unemployment perhaps other more serious consequences. But Lord, I pray that as your people in this day, living in this moment, that we would like these first disciples of Jesus remain uncompromisingly committed to you, to your standards of holiness, your ethical, moral code of godliness, of living lives that reflect Jesus that we would be uncompromisingly committed to making his message known, to not soften it and dilute it and to not Lord, buy into trying to make the gospel more appealing or attractive, but Lord, trust in your power to be at work in people's lives because your word says that the gospel is the power of God, not in our words. It is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, may, us, uh, may, we, may we be uncompromising in our passion for Jesus. Lord, no matter what setbacks and disappointments that we might have experienced when we've shared the gospel, Lord, maybe even in spite of some persecution that we may have already experienced, or Lord, some really hard things we've had to go through because of our commitment to Christ. 
Stir up again afresh. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that your fire, your passion would burn alive in our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not a believer, don't be like Gamaliel. Don't do the wait and see. And the reason I think Gamaliel said that is because there was part of him that maybe believed that this was a genuine move of God, but he just wasn't willing to commit. He wasn't willing to look into it more. He wasn't willing to explore it more. Instead, he was just wanting to be neutral and sit on the fence. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that decision of just, I'm just going to wait and see. Jesus is the only way. He's alive and he loves you and he wants you to know the Father. Reach out to him. Invite him in. Say, Jesus, will you make yourself real to me? And he will. Don't put it off. Don't wait and see. Make that decision today. And if you want to talk to me at the end of the service, if you're here, if you're online, please reach out to us through our online platforms and we would love to connect with you and tell you about Jesus. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.